0: Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to another edition of the Sampis Podcast on the Ambiguous Network, and right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone had a wonderful extended President's Day weekend. I know I wasn't here on Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, but there was a lot of stuff going on, but I'm back here ready to give you guys what is going on in the news right now and what happened over the last few days, extended weekend, a lot to get into. I'm gonna be talking about the brand new Bong song that came out from Billy Eilish, also an Aladdin sequel that is in the works, along with a bunch of trending trending trailers. That came out over the last few days and a whole lot more but of course the first thing that i have to get into on this weekend is the box office which was an extended four-day forecast because of president's day weekend from friday to monday we have those results in now and surprisingly with the number that it came in with Sonic that Hedgehog took the weekend by storm, grossing $70 million over the course of its four days, and it is now the highest-grossing debut for a video game film, beating out Detective Pikachu, which only had a three-day grossing weekend and came in with around $54 million last year in May. It's also one of the highest-grossing President's Day weekends of all time. This is such a huge deal because when you talk about Sonic the Hedgehog and everything that that it was really working against. It was working against, A, the bad press that it got when the first trailer came out for this movie and you saw the animation for Sonic and it wasn't what people thought it was going to be, so people had a lot of backlash towards that. And Paramount, who produced the movie and bought the rights to this, actually decided to go back to at least the drawing board in the sense of redesigning the Sonic character and redoing the animation. Now, hearing from a lot of people, really what it takes to recreate the Sonic, the actual character, because it's not a live action or it's not motion captured, it was all CGI, is the fact that they really just kind of basically... Put a new face on it. So they basically have... When when you're compositing and putting in After Effects, basically you have the structure already measured out. So you don't have to go back and shoot additional footage. You don't have to come back with Jim Carrey or James Morrison who star in the movie as their live-action counterparts. They just have to go in with the footage they have and every scene that has Sonic in there place this new makeover on Sonic and get rid of the old one. And it sounds easier than it is said and done, but they had to take three to four months to actually take out everything that they had originally, put in this new modified version of Sonic, and it takes a while to actually do that and put the composite in there. So I got to give Paramount and the the people that work the digital effects, the visual effects, a lot of props for doing that, taking the extra hours, the extra money however much it was to do this it doesn't sound like it was a whole lot of money maybe a million at least because again you're not going back and reshooting anything you have everything the technology all there you're just reworking it with what you already have so it wasn't like it cost them 10 to 20 million dollars to do this but it's, it took them a lot of time to do a time that they thought they'd be done with this november but they listened to the audience and where you always hear from the business marketing sense of the the customer is always right the customer was outraged about this people that were passionate fans of this character wanted to see it done right it's done right and kind of like what happened with the joker as well bad press positive press press is press and it gets people talking gets people wanting to see this movie, and also the fact that this is a movie that is really the first kids' family film of 2020. When you look at back back at January, a lot of it was more mature, adult, teenager films between Bad Boys for Life. You had Underwater. You had some a few horror movies that came out. You had The Rhythm Section. You had The Gentleman, which is an R-rated Guy Ritchie film. The only film that was really catered towards family and kids was Uh, Doolittle with Robert Downey Jr. We saw the box office for for that film and it didn't do as well as people didn't really think it was going to do but it, it performed at a level that could see it as potentially being a bomb for Universal at this point right now. So this was really the first true blue really well known video game character that kids were really interested in that Sonic is still relevant nowadays too it's still a video game it's still relevant in kids minds today and the people have played it for the amount of decades that Sonic has been out for with Sega that people wanted to see this movie and I think you also have the appeal of Jim Carrey is in this and you have it. we really haven't seen Jim Carrey do a whole lot in the last decade or so to see him kind of make a comeback in a way and kind of go back to his comedic roots and the the mannerisms that made him such a household name in the 90s is, I think, what really drew Jim Carrey to this and what made this a big appeal to people as well. And the fact that I think, again, people talking about this movie and the fact that that Paramount went back to the drawing board and they, I, they redesigned it to really— it could have been plucked right out of the video game and put right into the movie. So credit for Paramount for doing that and it was able to make the money and this is also a big win for for Paramount for Viacom especially for Paramount Pictures who have really gone through a big struggle especially last year in which they had some big misses, especially towards the latter half of 2019, with Gemini Man with Will Smith, which turned out to be a bomb. And same thing with Terminator: Dark Fate. Even though that got modest reviews, it still turned out to be a huge bomb when it didn't perform opening weekend and wasn't even able to recoup its its budget and lost. Oh, I think over 100 million dollars on its product on, on its budget and lost money for the studio. So for Paramount, this is a huge win for them. Where whereas Quiet Place Part 2 and Top Gun Maverick were definitely more solidified potential surefire bets of making box office money for Paramount. To start off 2020 on a high note and the new decade on a big note with Sonic, and it looks like this could, if it has the legs, which right now it doesn't have really any competition until Onward comes out on March 6th. So it has this week and next week, two weeks to make back its budget and put on padding and make this uh, one of the big box office successes early on for this year to go along with Bad Boys for Life. So it could end up making over $200 million domestically and maybe making 300 million dollars or even a little more to add for Paramount. So this is a big win for them and for Paramount to come out with a Quiet Place Part 2, which the first one was a surprise hit when it came out in 2018. And then of course, you add on top Gun Maverick which has Tom Cruise as a beloved 80s classic that I think Paramount, especially in the, in the first half of 2019, can have a really, really good start to the year. And it's already a great start for them and can continue forward with them with *The Quiet Place Part Two and Top Gun Maverick. Now moving on to the second winner of this weekend's box office, and that is Birds of Prey, a.k.a. what is now titled as Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey, making $19 million this weekend and made $61 million here domestically. And it only fell 49%. And now people might say, oh, wow, that's a huge drop-off for the $33 million. But when you think about it, especially now that it didn't come in at $50 million, which a lot of people thought it was going to come in its opening weekend, it actually came it came in a lot lower. And so for the fact that even though it dropped 49%, it wasn't like it had a big dramatic drop-off to begin with. If you come in... Over 50%, that's bad. If you come in below 50% on your second weekend or even your third weekend, that is a big, big boost for any movie, and especially for Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey, which stars Margot Robbie, directed by Kathy Yang. I certainly enjoyed the movie. And but it doesn't seem like a lot of people went out to go see this. And over the last week or so, a lot of news has been coming out about the fact that the marketing wasn't the strongest for it. They didn't really incorporate Harley Quinn. They marketed it more towards being a Birds of Prey film. They didn't really lean on their on their crown jewel, which was Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn, and that they decided that the the name wasn't good, and that there was some production issues in terms of Kathy Ann not being well versed in creating action and they brought on chad chad stahensky who is of the john wick fame and a a stunt actor and has done a lot of great action scenes and they brought him on board to do some of the action but it seems like all in all it turned out to be it it was a very good movie so none of those issues were a problem with it but when you look at the box officer it could have been the r rating that maybe it was the the faction of people that weren't of the age that saw Suicide Squad because it was PG-13 that loved this version of Harley Quinn couldn't see the R-rated version because of its mature adult content. But I just think that maybe people aren't interested in this movie particularly, but I do think that at the, the, the way that it's looking right now, and I think also when you look at China, which I think DC was really banking on, but because of everything that's happening with the coronavirus – the The movie plate, the movie sit in places and and a lot of other sites around in China have shut down. It hurts the worldwide box office for any film that's coming out in the future right now. And there's a great article on Forbes by Scott Mendelson that talks about the impact that the Chinese theaters and, and the business the movie business over at China, the big effect that it can have on potential films coming out that need a big boost from China and maybe Birds of Prey could have been one of those movies, but it seems like it's going to be able to recuperate its budget. Again, the big thing about this film that's positive is the fact that even though it underperformed opening weekend at the box office, it wasn't like this was a $100 million, even $150 million budget of film. This, this budget, before marketing, it was around $84 million is what it has reported right now, and after marketing, it's around 90 to $91 million. So without this really big budget for it, it has a chance to recuperate it. Now, you want to recuperate and put it back into the red, but you also want to be able to add some padding onto it as well so you can justify for it to making this movie. And that's where I think the, the battle comes into play for Birds of Prey right now, and I don't know if it's going to be able to do that right now. So it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward with Birds of Prey again. This weekend, not a lot that's going to be in effect for it. You have Call of the Wild, which is the first new film under the new 20th Century Studios logo. It was with Harrison Ford. It's based off of a, of a, of a film from the late 30s. It, it, who knows if that's going to be able to do anything or if Bram's The Boy 2 is going to be able to do anything. But I think for Birds of Prey, in the next few weeks it's going to have to be able to recuperate its budget, especially with Invisible Man coming out in a few weeks, which that seems to be getting some potential positive buzz moving forward for the end of February and going into early March. That can take away some of that demographic, especially if Invisible Man gets a lot of great personal buzz as it's been getting right now. So Birds of Prey is in a is in a is in is in a great place right now. It's it's not good, but it's not bad. It's in that it's in that middle area right now that I think in the next few weeks could tilt it to being either good or bad. So we'll see what happens in the next few weeks. Coming in at number three is Fantasy Island, only grossing only grossing $14 million throughout the four-day weekend, and it grossed around $12 million through the three-day weekend, which is, for this movie, it is, it's such a marvel at how Blumhouse and Sony did this, and this movie, I said on my social media, I don't, I'm not even going to review it, I'll just say it right here, this is an awful movie. Uh, it's definitely the worst movie I've seen so far early on in 2020. It's got an 8% around Rotten Tomatoes, so that justifies it. And it only had a $70 million budget. See, this is why Blumhouse is so good at what they do, because they always, even if a movie, if if a movie becomes Get Out or if a movie becomes Halloween, they're able to say, they're able to have a small budget, but they're able to have big box office results from it. However, if a movie critically doesn't do that well, in the case of a Fantasy Island, but it only has a seventy-seven million dollar budget towards it, and it makes fourteen million dollars. It's made that money back already. And the thing that they did was, I'm sure they knew that this movie wasn't going to be as good, and they didn't they didn't hold any critic screenings for it whatsoever, and they didn't even hold early preview screenings for Thursday night, which is kind of like the new midnight where. It's for everybody to go see, although the the preview screen is for everyone to go see in the evening time around 5, 6 o'clock is when they start releasing the movies out there for people to go see. They didn't even do that. They said, we're going to wait for the box office, we're going to wait for the weekend to come around, which technically for the weekend box office starts on Friday. You go from Friday all the way to now, and they didn't even release any critical screenings of it or any critical reviews of it until the movie came out a, a day later, and that's how it got an 8% Rotten Tomatoes, and, and it hasn't gotten a good cinema score either. People are not coming out and enjoying this movie, and the theater that I was at, people were not happy with it either. They were huffing and puffing and rolling their eyes, and it, it, was, it was not a good time for people, and I know for myself as well, and but it still was able to make $14 million. So I don't know if this movie is going to have any legs going forward, especially when Blumhouse will be going up against itself in about a week or so with Invisible Man. And I'm sure they're putting more of their money and and, and their efforts on the Invisible Man right now with Elizabeth Moss than they are on Fantasy Island now. So I just think it's it's such a fun tactic, funny tactic that they use where they're going to make money off of this. They've already made the budget back, and now they can just add on some padding. So this movie is going to, get out of it's not going to be in the black it's definitely going to be in the red but it's going to be interesting to see what kind of legs this movie is going to have over the next weekend because once invisible man comes out i don't think people are going to blumhouse they're all going to forget about fantasy island and again i sent in my review on social media if you want to check it out which I'll say at the very end, but I say Maggie Q is the only bright spot of this entire film. And there's a reason she wasn't on any press tours for this film whatsoever. I think she she probably might have seen the storm coming for this one. She wasn't in any of the interviews, didn't give anything whatsoever. It was Lucy Hale, it was Michael Pena, those poor, especially Michael Pena, I mean, poor guy who's, who's making his name for himself, who's done some great quality work over these last few years, just ends in a doozy like this one. It's unbelievable, but still fantasy island is, is able to make some money whether it is just for this weekend or not it's able to do that and blumhouse again is looking forward towards the future with invisible man now moving on to number four the photograph the other big film that came out this weekend the photograph starring Issa Rae and lakeith Wakefield gross only uh, around 13 million dollars this weekend and that's a really good price for the photograph especially when you have the likes of when you have fantasy island and you also have sonic the hedgehog and you're competing for this 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 area where you had four releases come out and you're and you landed them before and it seems like they're the highest rated Rotten Tomato score of all four of these releases coming at 74 mil- 74%, and so I think for Issa Rae, this is a good start for her, this is especially this was the, the film that catered, I think, towards Valentine's Day, even though it is one day, and sometimes we'll have the Valentine's Day weekend, but because Valentine's Day and President's Day weekend incorporated into one, it was more of, I think, if people wanted to go for Valentine's Day, they had the photograph, and then, of course, you have President's Day. You had all these different films for people to go out and see. So for the photograph, it's a good start for them moving forward. And coming in at number five, Bad Boys for Life, hanging in there in the top five, grossing another $12.8 million, $182 million, domestically around $336 million worldwide at the box office. Again, the, the really the first big smash of this year was such a surprise. A fourth one is already underway to being in development right now. And I think a lot of people are coming out enjoying this film, and is really the First big surprise and first big blockbuster of this year. And Sonic could be right behind it on its feet. Then coming out at number six, 1917. Even though it might have come up short at winning some top prizes at the Academy Awards last Sunday, it definitely is winning at the box office right now, grossing another $9.3 million, $145.6 million domestically, and over $230 million worldwide. A big win for Universal, which to, co- to compensate for Doolittle, It's doing very well in 1917, so if they lose money there, they can compensate it with the money they're making for this other film, this World War One film. So again, they didn't win Best Picture, Sam Metis didn't win Best Director, but a lot of people are still responding very well to 1917 and the money that it's making at the box office, being the cinematic experience that it is. Then coming in at number seven is Jumanji, The Next Level, hanging in there, the only film left from the full release date of december hanging in there star wars isn't in there anymore little women isn't in there spies in disguise jumanji is remaining in there right now grossing another seven million dollars at the box office 307 million dollars domestically and over 700 million dollars over 800 really million dollars at the worldwide box office a smash hit for jumanji which is just slowly but surely inched its way closer and closer it i don't think it's gonna hit a billion dollars but it's going to come awfully close like Welcome to the Jungle did in 2017. But a big smash hit for Sony like Bad Boys for Life. And this is a film where, again, you have The Rock, you have Jack Black, Karen Gillen, Kevin Hart. It did really great money. And the fact that it's beat out Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, beat out really that one, which is really what Sony saw as its main competition like in 2017 with The Last Jedi, the fact that it's hung in there more so than Star Wars is, I think, is incredible for the fact for Sony. I think they're very happy about that, and it's hanging in there at number seven. And speaking of Academy Award winners, the history breaking Best Picture winner of this year, coming at number eight, Parasite, grossing six point six million dollars. Excuse me, at the box office, and has forty four point three million dollars at the domestic box office, which is a huge win for this movie the fact that it is a low budget south korean foreign film international film that has just absolutely exceeded everybody's expectations broke records at at the academy award being the first non english language film to win not just for south korea to win best international feature but to win best picture and to win best director and best original screenplay it absolutely shattered records and i think people notice this film now recognize the work of bong jun ho and are going to see this movie now and it got a 249% bump up from where it was in ticket sales a day or two after it was anointed the Best Picture of 2019 at the Oscars. So this is a huge win for Parasite. And the fact that you look at Green Book, you look at a lot of films over the years that have gone on to win Best Picture at the Oscars. They really have done well the week or two after they win the big prize. And I think that's going to happen with Parasite. I think we're going to see it stay in the box office at least for another week or so. And then the hype will die down. Because of the fact also what makes it such a great achievement is the fact that this already was on on streaming and it was already on demand for people to see on their homes and they decided to go out to the movies and see this movie and that's absolutely incredible so i'm happy to see the reward that parasite is doing right now and the fact that it was able to retain that eight spot at this week's box office then coming in on in at number nine is Doolittle, the movie with robert downing jr and directed by stephen gagin there were a lot of troubles with this movie but the fact that it's made 6.3 million dollars at the box office 71 million dollars domestically, over $100 million worldwide. But in order to recruit that budget, it's going to stay in the black. You're going to need over two, three $300 million to at least get even. And it doesn't seem like it's going to be doing that. So this is going to lose money for Universal. But again, with 1917, and they're going to have a lot of big films coming out this year, especially in the likes of Fast 9, which is definitely one of the films that is being eyed to being a billion-dollar hit this year at the box office. They'll be able to, I think, recuperate and be able to even— out what this could be doing for them when it comes to Universal and the box office this year for them and evening out and, and being able to just put this one away and forget about it for right now. And then coming in at number 10 is Downhill, starring Will Ferrell, Julia Louise dreyfus Only came in at 39% now in Rotten Tomatoes, which is not good. I saw this film this weekend and I honestly happened to enjoy it. I, I thought it was really good for what it was. I know it's a remake on Force Me Horror, It's a French foreign language film. However, I I enjoyed it, and and I think the chemistry between Farrell and Julie Louise Dreyfus is great. Julie Louise Dreyfus is fantastic in this movie. I think she's a star. She just shows how great of a performer she is. And unfortunately, it doesn't seem like a lot of people agree with that. It got a D on CinemaScore, and it had made $5.1 million at the box office coming in at number 10. So not a great presence for this movie, and maybe some people thought it had some awards potential, but... As early on in the year as it goes, it just proves that sometimes you might have some buzz going forward, but it doesn't seem like this one's going to be going anywhere anytime soon. So Downhill, disappointing at the box office. And also, the first film from Fox Searchlight, or well, now that is called Searchlight Pictures, did not have the Fox in it anymore and just be called Searchlight Pictures. So this is a, a, a first time of an event history in the making for for Disney with the Searchlight Pictures and not the the response they wanted for their first for their first film with the new name, Searchlight Pictures. But they'll have a few other films, I think, to be able to recuperate this budget and, and level that out. Like do little with universal so i don't think disney should be panicking anytime soon with this but not a good start for them with downhill with the cast that it had in julia louis dreyfus and will farrell what do you guys think of this weekend's box office what do you think of sonic's record do you think they will be able to sustain it for the next few weeks reading about all the other films that were on the top 10 of the box office let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts now moving on to some other news that is coming out around the world of Hollywood. Of course, the big one that happened a few days ago that I want to give my thoughts about was, of course, Matt Reeves putting out a Vimeo video of the first look, a little sizzle reel, a camera test of the new Batman suit with Rotten Pattinson in it. It's going to be directed by Matt Reeves. And I love this little kind of camera reel tease that we got. I love the fact that with this, it was just kind of, you get a little bit of a hint of Michael Giacchino's score, which I cannot wait for. He worked with Matt Reeves on the Planet of the Apes films. So I'm really excited to see that. And, and and it had that noir sense with that red tint to it. I thought that was really cool and different. And I think it just added to kind of the darkness that we're going to be getting with this film. Matt Reeves, it came out and said that this is going to be taking place within Batman's Bruce Wayne's second year as a crime fighter, as the Dark Knight. And I think also looking at the suit itself it takes inspiration from really the, the the Arkham video game series that I saw between the body armor that is incorporated from the video game, especially from Arkham Knight. You get the little bat symbolism. And then, of course, everything else seems to be really attached to wires, very homemade. The cap, the the, the cowl is, is very hand-stitched together, and you see the eyes come together. And of course, I'm just talking about the, the the chin line, the chin strap. Robin Pattinson's got that. I can't wait to, to actually see footage of actually within the movie and not just the test footage, which looked awesome, but to see the entire costume in full effect and full full action within the story, within the plot beats, within the action set pieces that we're going to get. And the fact that we're actually, it's in production now and people are filming about it. Zoe Kravitz is is promoting one of her new projects, High Pursuit, but a lot of people are asking about Batman and she's talking about it a little bit. So it's becoming a reality now after really years where we knew Matt Reeves was going to be pulling off a new iteration of Batman after Ben Affleck. We didn't know if it would include Affleck or not. It came to Pattinson and now it's full steam ahead. Now we got a release date. We got actual footage now, even though it's not of the movie, it's a sizzle reel of showing that this is legitimately happening. We have our first look. So I'm really excited about this. And there's another thing that I do want to talk about with, in terms of getting these first looks to happen. But the, I want to go to another news story that happened that kind of coincides with this. And that is on Friday for Valentine's Day, Stranger Things four Netflix came out with a teaser, an announcement teaser of some sorts, that Stranger Things four is happening, that it, that it's coming back, and with it is the confirmed cat, the confirmed return of David Harbour as Hopper coming back. In Stranger Things four, he seems to be ca- held captive in Russia. He looks a lot different. His head shaven, his beard shaven. He's clean shaven. He's skinny. He's definitely been in prison. It seems like for a while. So we're gonna get, gonna, gonna be getting Hopper in Russia, and it confirms what we saw in that post-credit scene in Stranger Things three last summer, where. It seems like there was an American held captive. And when they were feeding a prison to a and they said, leave the American. And even though it wasn't confirmed at the time that it was Hopper, when people thought he was dead after what happened in the events of season three, it led to a lot of years that maybe he was still alive. And there was no confirmation until Friday when we got the confirmation that Hopper would be back. And people are wondering, A, they're happy that he's back. And I'm happy that he's back. It was no surprise whatsoever. Even though... I love the ending of Stranger Things 3. You you have to bring David Harbour back. He's such a beloved character in this, and I just think, even though I thought it was lovely, I just felt like you would want to give him a more noble death than kind of zapping him and maybe turning the mush. I don't know. But I love the ending of Stranger Things 3, but I'm still happy to see him back, and, I, and I'm sure the Duffer brothers will explain why he's back and Maybe it's not just Hopper. Maybe it's a replica of Hopper, a cologne. Maybe we get into that kind of area of sci-fi, but I don't know. But if this is the the the, the Hopper that we know from the last three seasons of Stranger Things, then bring it on and, and let's see how he's back and how he survived. And also, I think this also, going back to the Batman talk, going to this, there seems to be, a. a I think this is a smart ploy by a lot of companies where, when you do a production, and especially a very, a very high-profile production on a on a film, television show, people are always looking to take pictures. Especially when you're filming out and about in in the open, when you're filming out and about, and you know you're filming in cities, you're filming in towns, people can take pictures, and, and there's nothing you can do about it. It's free speech. It can be put around the, the area, and sometimes things are put out there that maybe you don't want out, and then. It kind of ruins the surprise. And over the last few years, especially Warner Brothers has done this, where with Joker, with Joaquin Phoenix, now Academy Award winning Joaquin Phoenix for the movie, because they were going to be shooting around Jersey, the New York area, the tri-state area, and they weren't just going to be filming in studios, they knew they were going to be filming out in public. They decided to put out a first look of Joker, and it wasn't even footage of the movie. It was just a little kind of tease and, and show what he's going to look like, because after that, we saw all these photos come out of Joker, and we saw the costume, the makeup of what he was going to look like. So if, say, they didn't have that announcing tease come out, then it would kind of ruin the surprise. So we already knew what was going to happen. It was a studio that put out that first statement. And so it kind of happened again with Warner Brothers doing it with the Batman, where even though they're probably going to be shooting in studios, they're going to be shooting on sets, still you got to shoot on location for some things. And it's not like you can you can corner off an area, but say if you're shooting around buildings or whatnot, people still especially in this day and age with cameras that shoot like like actual like cameras, like cinema cameras, and, and they can get good quality video or pictures, it would ruin the look that you that you're holding back something, but it's already being ruined when you already have things surfacing online. So Warner Brothers did the same thing where they're getting out ahead of it where they're probably gonna get shots of the of the suit that are that are going to be out there and once they go out in public and the production keeps going they're probably going to be online views of what the suit is going to look like so and we'll see it in full effect so we get that look of what happens with the suit already so and the same thing happens with hopper where I'm um, the the Duffer brothers announced that they're they're in production now for Stranger Things 4. And I'm sure again they'll be shooting in space in studios, but for wherever they're going to be shooting whether it is in the hometown that they shoot in in Indiana or they shoot in Russia, wherever they shoot in it it's going to be seen that I'm sure David Harbour has a big role to play in Stranger Things 4 and people would have taken pictures or whatnot, and the best they tried to hide him, people would have seen, well, looks like Hopper's back, Hopper's back, and there would be more theories about it. So Netflix, the Duffer brothers, they wanted to get ahead of it and show, well, he's back. you've speculated it. It is true. He's back. He's at it. And we don't know what he's going to be doing. We can still speculate of what's going to happen. How? Why was he captured? How did he get captured? How didn't he die? And those questions start to arise more the fact that it's definitely shown that he's alive. How come they're not showing it? We now know that he's alive. And now that they can go, they can go into production with more ease that say, if something leaks on set, people already know that he's coming back. It's not like it's going to be from some paparazzi site that, that David Harbour is back as Hopper. Or is he playing something else? You already know that he's coming back. You see the look that he's going to bring. So I think it's a smart tactic by studios nowadays, and I hope other studios maybe go along with it. And even though you want to keep things a surprise, you can keep other plot theories a surprise as well. But when it comes to important things like just a costume, you don't want to keep the costume from people. It's going to be showing its way around one way or the other, so I think to give it to us now ahead and they get ahead of that is a smart move and I'm I'm wondering if people are going to be doing it now more nowadays, especially again with high profile with high profile movies or TV shows like like the like Batman, Joker, Stranger Things. Well, the MCU do it even though they didn't, they never really had any trouble. And you saw it with Avengers Endgame even though we got some set photos of what was going on, they definitely kept, all, kept a lot of surprises for us to experience when we saw the movie last year in the summertime. So, you can keep a lot of things secret, but I think when you when it's a costume or a character that we know and that is going to have a big, prominent part. You've got to announce it, and I think it was the right move for both Warner Brothers to do with the Batman suit and for Netflix and the Duffer Brothers to do with announcing that Hopper's going to be back for Stranger Things 4. And they haven't announced a release date for it yet, but if I had a guess for Stranger Things 4, if they're in production now and it's around eight to nine episodes, we'll either get it in— they'll either do it for a release date of later this year, in October, November, December— of this year towards the end of 2020 or early to mid 2021 when they have all the effects rendered out when they have everything ready to go so i think around that is a timetable that we'll be getting for stranger things 4 what do you guys think of these first looks for the batman suit and for stranger things 4 let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts now moving on to another big important news story that broke and uh, an announcement really that happened and that was the full unveiling of the brand new bong song for no time to die which is titled no time to die <clears throat> excuse me from billy eilish who is now the youngest songwriter, song singer the singer to perform a bong song at 18 years old and this to me i to me what makes a terrific bong song is the sleek, the sexiness, the the mysterious aspect of it, the jazzy outlook of it. And we and we've had people like Shirley Bassey and Paul McCarthy who bring these really high-octane energizer songs together. And even Chris Cornell with with what he did with Will you, uh, Remember My Name from Casino Royale. And of course we got the the more seductive, sleek Skyfall, which is, has a great course to it and great energy but is kind of quiet and then we get a Sam Smith song and I think with Billie Eilish it's a lot more quiet it's a lot more reduced and I think with the with the Bond song it has to be one that it it it, it feels like it's setting up the movie and even though we have a trailer for it we can only only kind of base off what we've seen so far and it seems like what this song does it fits what the movie is going to be there's a great After the song released, they came out with like a minute teaser spot showcasing the song in there. And I thought it fit very well. And I think it's a very good Billie Eilish song. I think it has the potential to be a really, really good James Bond theme. I think the way that it's going to be fitting the the movie, it seems like it's going to be a story, kind of like a Casino Royale, of trustworthiness and and betrayal and redemption and finding your place and trust. Who do you trust? And I think it's just going to be... A great culmination for Daniel Cray going forward for his James Bond. The fact that we get this Billie Eilish song, I love that. Again, it has the Billie Eilish name to it. It has the Billie Eilish motifs and similarities that you would find in a lot of her other songs where it starts out slow and really somber, but then towards the end it picks up and it gives you that big theme that you would want to hear. Then it kind of goes down a little bit more and it ends, but... It has that James Bond theme in there as well. She worked with Hans Zimmer as well on this to give her to, for the score part of it, the instrumental. So she worked with a lot of great collaborators for this. And I'd, unless something else comes out in the next few months, which very well could happen, I think this song is going to get nominated for an Oscar. The only problem is the fact that it, this movie is coming out April in April, April 8th in the United Kingdom and April 10th here in the United States and worldwide in April it's coming out in the springtime, whereas Skyfall, Spectre, the last two films, Bond films, who both Adele and Sam Smith went on to win Best Oscars for Best Original Song, those movies came out in November, whereas that's really when Oscar season starts to pick up. This one's coming out in, in, again, April in the springtime, so it'll have a lot of steam to pick up where, again, you have a lot of other songs that could come out. Apparently, for In the Heights with Lin-Manuel Miranda, that's coming out with an original song that could maybe— Hold Out for People, West Side Story, I think they might be coming out with an original song from Steven Spielberg, so this one could stick with people, but it's still a long year to go, but again, with the track record for Bond right now, a nomination is, to me, without a doubt right now, especially if it really, I think if it fits along with the movie, because with the Bond song, it really, it's all about how does it fit within the movie, as a, as its own song, you can like it as any way, you can think it's a great Adele song, a great Bond song. On its own, but I think it has to fit within the film. As Skyfall fits within the film. I think to a certain extent, Writings on the Wall fits well with Spectre. I think You Know My Name from Casino Royale, I think that fits well with the Bond song. Goldfinger, of course, is the all time staple to Bond songs that really set it in motion with Shirley Bassley. Diamonds Are Forever fits in. There are certain songs that there Bond songs fit in with the movie and add to the movie. They're not just one aspect, they are one aspect of the movie but it's not the only aspect. It's not the only gleamy aspect to it. It's, it's a part of it and and shouldn't be the only highlight. It should be a part of the highlights that make a great Bond movie great. And so uh, to me, I'm excited to hear this in the theaters and to see the animation. That's always one of my other favorite things. I'm a huge Bond fan and there's so many great traditions of a Bond, of a Bond film. You have the song and you have the opening title sequence where you have the pre sequence with the action or whatever goes on and then you have the animation sequence and I, i'm excited to see what they do this year for that and i'm excited to see this movie again it's going to be the end of an era with daniel craig that i've every the, the movies that i've seen james bond and it's all been daniel craig films and even though bond probably maybe this bond might die but the character of james bond will never die as long as the broccolis are involved and eon is still there the james bond will always have a home and have a place in theaters and this one could be another potential billion-dollar hit. I think if the reviews are right where they should be, right where in line of where Casino Royale and Skyfall were, I think this has a chance to upend Spectre and and I think eclipse Skyfall as being maybe the highest-grossing Bond film of all time. It has that shot to do it. I think because of the event occasion that this is, it has a shot of doing that. But time will tell. We still got well over a month to really discuss about this once march 10th hits for at least united states it'll be a at a month until we get no time to die, but right now we're well over a month or so until we get that movie. But until then, we still have all the footage that's coming out. We have no time to die. The song from Billie Eilish, which there's a cool interview that's out today with GMA, where she talked about the the role and how she collaborated with her brother, which is she's done with her with her debut album when she won five Grammys and working with Hans Zimmer, and she's just such a down to earth person, which is which is crazy. But she has such an amazing voice. It's such a great song, and I'm excited to see. How it fits in with No Time to Die in the movie when it comes out on April 10th here in the United States. What did you guys think of Billie Eilish's No Time to Die song? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. Now, moving on to some box office news that isn't the weekend box office, but has to do with onward tickets on sale now for. Pixar's latest film, their first original film since Coco came out. The last few years, they've kind of gone the sequel route with 2018 with Incredibles 2 and, of course, last year with their now Oscar-winning film, Toy Story 4. But now Pixar is deciding to go back to the route of original films, which is really what they are known for doing great with and are some of their all-time classics. It's directed by Dan, Dan Scalen, who did Monsters University. And, Onward is is according to a lot of prognosticators set to open at around $45 million this opening weekend. Now, that right now could look at one of the lowest openings right now. And you have to also have to look at it from a few variables. It's set to open around $45 million opening weekend. But A, you have to take into account that this isn't a summertime release date. Really, when it comes to Pixar movies, they either come out during the summertime, or they come out during the Thanksgiving Day weekend time, which is a big box office intake for a lot of movies and studios to put their big releases on those th- those two windows, the summer movie season or the Thanksgiving Day weekend. And with Pixar, a lot of their big films have come from those, those areas. And with a lot, a lot of original Pixar movies – they haven't really done a billion dollars at the box office they've made around 700 800 million dollars the sequels have made over a billion you talk about toy story 3 you talk about incredibles 2 you talk about toy story 4's made over a billion dollars those are the ones that have the ip in it that people are clamoring for with original films it's going to be because of those windows this is a new window for pixar to look at right now in the early springtime and just uh, two weeks, really. We're getting onward, which is crazy. I remember when the first teaser came out in the summertime, but now we're getting this—a new film from Pixar, an original film. You also have to look at the fact that this movie—it's going to depend on the reviews. Now, with a lot of Pixar movies, though, a lot of the reviews, whether it's a sequel or whether it's an original film, always are in the, the high nineties or, or, or in the the, the very high nineties, usually. It's gonna depend on the, the the world the worldwide buzz for this movie. Is it as good as people think it is? Is it gonna go be up there on some of Pixar's original films that are classics like Ratatouille or an Inside Out or a Coco over the last few years? So I think those are some big variables for Onward to figure out. Dan Scanlon, this is a, a personal project for him. This is to me a front runner for Best Animated Feature right now, even though it's early. Again. Last Sunday proved to me that the Oscars, that Disney is a huge fan of, or the Oscars are big fans of Disney animation, whether it's Pixar or just flat out Disney animation when it comes to awarding them. So this is a front runner for me. If it really does stick the landing, this is a personal project. It's about two brothers that are trying really to earn a day back with their father. They have 24 hours before so they can see their father one last time who's passed away. And so it's got that emotional plot beat, that potential emotional elements to it while still being a great Family film, an, act, an adventure film, a fantasy film, a, a family film. It's got all those elements in it that can work in its favor. For Dan, though, the fact that he did Monsters University, which is on the lower terms of well reviewed Pixar movies, especially for a sequel, well, it's not really a sequel, it's a prequel when you see a young Mike and Sully. So I'm interested to see how this goes, but the fact that you already have Tom Holland, Chris Pratt doing press tour for this movie right now, I think gives a big indication that Disney and Pixar have a lot of confidence for this movie, and this is one of their first big anticipated films to come out this year. This, this will be continuing the trend that was really left off from Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, from... You have Avengers Endgame from Toy Story 4, from Frozen 2. This is continuing that leg to see, does Disney still have that with original properties? Can this it, can this sustain itself for Disney if it's not re- rerun to IPs, if this isn't a Toy Story 5, this isn't a Frozen 3, if this isn't a Star Wars 10, if this isn't Avengers 5, this isn't another MCU movie, period. Can it sustain that? So I think... There's a lot riding on this movie right now for Disney and the fact that can they sustain the love of success they had in 2019. Now, again, it's a different year, different properties are out right now, so you can't expect that. But at the same time, can it maybe not make a billion dollars, but still make half a billion dollars, $600 million at the worldwide box office? What is going to happen with this movie? I think there has to be high precedence for this movie going forward because of the run that Disney just had. You can look at it as it's one year, they won't have it again. They probably won't have the same year they had, from last year with this year. But can they sustain that 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 level of a run of being big block, block, blockbusters at Disney? You can't put a movie around a Disney movie because of that. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this one. I'm excited for Onward. It's probably going to be one of my most anticipated for the month of March, which I'll be having next weekend and going over the month of February. But there's still some movies to go see. But Onward is definitely on that list, and it's one of the first big movies to come out this year that I think a lot of people are looking forward to after a a, a february that started with birds of prey and there's been a lot of other big films that have come out sonic has really broken through we have invisible man next week so there's a few movies that are coming out but onward with that brand name of disney pixar is one to look out for and i'm excited for it going forward then speaking of other disney news there is now an announcement that an aladdin sequel according to variety is now in the works it is Going to be an entirely original story from John Gathens, who has written Flight and Power Rangers, and Andrea Burloff, who has written The Kitchen, and the Oscar nominated film Straight Outta Compton in 2015. This is this is going to be a sequel based off of the billion dollar hit from last year that was Aladdin with Mahina Moussad, Will Smith, Naomi Scott. It's a film that nobody thought was going to be a surprisingly fun adventure as it was going to be. And the fact that it grows Over a billion dollars at the box office is astounding. The fact that people didn't think maybe it could gross half a billion dollars, 600, maybe, maybe it can make that. But it blew everybody out of the water. Disney clearly sees that this is uh, a a cast that people want to see again, a world they want to see again. And it hasn't been confirmed that Guy Ritchie will be back to direct it. If he does, I think they'll have a great level of sustainability. But it's also, I think, about the story as well. I think right now it seems like none. This this is going to be an entirely original story. It's not going to be based off of one of the sequels that have come out or the television show. It's not going to be based off of the Return of Jafar or King of Thieves. Maybe it'll have elements based off of those movies, but it it, it might. It's going to be an original story. And Disney, it seems like took their due diligence with this. They took their time and over the last six months, apparently according to Variety, they heard from a lot of pitches from a lot of writers, and I guess the one that Gatens and Burloff decided to write blew them away the most and they decided they want to bring back they want to write that story and right now it hasn't been confirmed that the cast will be back yet but I'm sure once they get the story down and they're all ready to go they will bring the cast back again Mahina Musad he wasn't a he wasn't a standout standout but he did a serviceable role in the in aladdin he was able to play that character and play to the strength of what made it makes aladdin so lovable naomi scott's beam was the highlight i'm i love what she does and what what, whatever she does next i'm excited for it and i think she did she brought another element to jasmine that we hadn't seen before that that even though she was strong-willed in the animated movies the fact that She's just, she. she's her own person. She doesn't take anything, for example, if she's going to be the leader of the country if that's the direction that they go in with the next movie, that she's going to be the sultan. And so, and, and you have that relationship between Will Smith, who, again, did a, a serviceable, such a better job than I think a lot of people thought he was going to do as the genie, but a new element to it that we didn't see before. So I think if you're you going to bring these big three back, but I think it's a smart move for them to, Wait it out. Write the script. See how the script goes. See if you need to make any other changes, and then bring the cast back who you need to bring back, and add whoever you need to add back, and bring back a director. I would love for Guy Ritchie to come back. I thought he did a, a really good job with this film as well. He, 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 he tempered himself with his style of film, but at the same time, he saw those guy isms in there at the same time but he did a really good job of making sure that it was about the property wasn't about him and so they brought him back i would be happy but at the same time if they brought in somebody else to do a new different take on it i'd be excited and interested to see where they go from there as well but you you want to make sure that you keep the director with the cast because they have a great rapport but it's about the story it's about the characters and so if you bring in another director, I'm interested to see who it is, but they haven't made a deal to Guy Ritchie yet. I'm sure they will be. They are the first ones that will go to him because you want to keep the train going. If, 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 if everything went right the first time, you want to keep that train going and not mess with anything other than creating the story. So I'm interested in seeing what this Aladdin film is going to be. There's no release day yet. Just the fact that they are now in writing the film and developing it right now for an Aladdin sequel to the 2019 film Aladdin. What do you guys think about this? Let me know down below in the comment section, and leave your thoughts. Now moving on to some trendy trailers that came out in the world of Hollywood over the last few days, and the first one I want to get into is the big one that came out last week, and that is for The French Dispatch, and they came out with a new poster and a new trailer for this movie. It is going to be the next film, the 10th film, written and directed by the one and only Wes Anderson, and it stars one hell of a cast. I mean, this is just if we thought last year the likes of Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was a stacked cast, this is this is just Academy Award-level actors and actresses on a whole other level. So let's start out starring Tilda Swinton, Frances McDormand, Bill Murray, Jeffrey Wright, Adrian Brody, Benicio Del Toro, Owen Wilson, Leah Sadew, Timothy Chalamet, Steve Parr, Christoph Waltz, Elizabeth Moss, Saoirse Ronan, Leave Schreiber, Ed Norton, and Tony Rivoli. It's just an impeccable, impeccable cast. And The French Dispatch is going to be based actually off of a few articles from The New Yorker, which according to The New Yorker and according to Wes Anderson is what drew inspiration to make this movie. He apparently was a big fan of The New Yorker, which has dealt with politics, entertainment, culture. They're a magazine of the highest priority. And for The New Yorker, they deal with a whole bunch of articles, and these movies are going to be based off of articles for... From the New Yorker because Wes Anderson is such a fan there, and from the trailer, it seems like it's going to be broken up into three parts. And what's interesting about this one is, I think with with Parasite, it just Parasite gave me such a that winning Best Picture gave me such an affirmation of the future of cinema, and seeing what all these other creators go for with after Christina Scorsese and Quentin Tarantino and Taika Waititi, to seeing someone like Wes Anderson, and and I'm not the biggest Wes Anderson person in the world. His style is for certain people. And more often than not, I'm not one of those people. But with this cast and, and I think this this premise, I'm excited for it. And, and what's interesting is that you have those same Wes Anderson mannerisms where it's the center shot. It's full of lust and color and gorgeous cinematography and iconography. But also, it seems to be it's going to be color and black and white. And it just seems like Wes Anderson is going on a whole other level. It's got new mannerisms for Wes Anderson, but at the same time, keeping those interesting interesting aspects and in, employing something new for him. So I'm excited about that. And the fact that what's funny was a day after the Academy Awards happened, we got new a new look for the French Dispatch. We got the first poster, which the poster to me, I think might be one of the best posters I'll see in 2020. Again, it's really early on, but I thought that was a gorgeous, gorgeous poster Fit right alongside of what... Wes Anderson wants to do with the movie that just felt very, very French and what you would find on one of the, on on a late, late, great magazine like that in the early days. So that really impressed me. But when we got that, then we got the trailer on Wednesday. I think the fact that the Oscars were after that literally happened a few days before then, we kind of got our first look at what could be a major player at next year's award season. And again, the last, the last Wes Anderson film was nominated for best animated feature, and Best Original Screenplay, which was Isle of Dogs, but Wes Anderson's last live-action film, which was the Grand Pou Best Hotel in 2014, that came out on the film festival circuit in February. Then it hit theaters in March, and it stayed with Academy members because it was nominated for nine Oscars, winning four of them. It was nominated for big prizes like Best Picture, Best Original Screenplay, Best Director, Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, and it won Best Original Score, Production Design, Makeup and Hairstyling, and Costume Design. So, over the last few years, even though it's been a while since Wes Anderson, really six years since Anderson has come out with a live-action film, the Academy at that point clearly loved him. And I think they'll love him now, especially with this kind of cast and the style that he brings to it. And maybe the diversified Academy, but what we've seen with with Parasite, if The French Dispatch is as good as it looks, and this is a great movie, then I think you could see it be a major player. And it's not coming out until the summertime on July 24th of this year. So, you know, have a big summer release. I'm sure it'll debut at the con film festival, which is where parasite debuted at. And is really how it kind of started the momentum forward toward for it to be a major player at award season, even though it debuted at Telluride and a few others in September, the fact that it was able to do what it was able to do at con and build on that momentum. And that's something that maybe the French dispatch is able to do as well. So I think for this for what they want to do for the French dispatch, I'm excited about it. Grand Prudence Best Hotel made $172 million worldwide. And this is a big this is a big, big project for Searchlight Pictures. This is for Disney. This is one of their, I think, first major f- films for that indie studio that's not named Fox Fox Searchlight Pictures anymore. So we saw what just happened with down with Downhill. They have the Call of the Wild coming up this weekend, which will be the first film to come out under the new logo of 20th Century Studios. There's a lot of big changes happening for 20th Century right now, and for The French Dispatch, it could be a big winner for Disney coming out with this movie in the summertime. So, interesting movie. I'm excited about it. Again, I'm not the biggest Wes Anderson person in the world, but I respect his style. I respect his decisions. I respect the filmmaker he is, and I actually really am excited for The French Dispatch, what do you guys think of The French Dispatch? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. Now moving on to an, the last trailer that I want to talk about today, and that is the Green Knight trailer that is coming out for A24. being directed by David Lowery and starring Dave Patel, Vikander, and it's talking about King Arthur and knights, and it, it has incredible scenery. And this is from the director that directed his last directing was – one of my favorite movies that came out in 2017, A Ghost Story, with Casey Affleck and, and Rooney Mara. And that film surprised me to pieces. It was such an enduring film about time and space and what you want to do with your life. And time is endless. And so for me, this, this just speaks of an indie experimental filmmaker that kind of did the same thing with A Ghost Story, where it told a, a linear story but had a lot of experimental elements in there that was incorporated in the story and it seems like that's the same thing that's happening here with the green knight it has a tremendous cast and i'm excited about this one to come out on may 29th of 2020 what do you guys think of the green knight trailer let me know you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts now moving on to some news that is coming out of disney once again but this time, it is really good news for this film, and that is for the brand-new Honey, I Shrunk the Kids film that is coming out in a few years from now, and it was announced that Joe, Joe Johnson was going to come back and direct the movie. Josh Gad was about to come back and, and play the Zelinsky son as an adult, and so there there was always this wondering, of why is this film happening? It, why do we need this film? Well, now we need this film because the one and only great Rick Moranis will be coming back for the new "Honey, I Shrunk the Kids" sequel, and it's gonna be—it's been titled as a legacy sequel, one of those films that you bring back all these characters like Wayne Szalinski, and they have a huge part in it, while telling a story with a new generation of characters. And so, I think for this, it's—it's—it's incredible the fact that. This will be Rick Moranis' first live action appearance in 20 years. He stepped away from acting to take care of his kids after his wife unfortunately passed away from tragically passing away from cancer. And he decided that it was it and that he wanted to do something else. He wanted to be a father. And you, you can only respect that. You can respect the decision that he made with that. And I think the fact that he's coming back to this, I've never seen Rick Moranis on the big screen before. So to me, this is going to be such an endearing film to watch because I've seen him on my television set. I've seen him in Ghostbusters, both Ghostbusters films. I've seen him in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I've seen him on, on watching TV with my dad, watching Little Giants. He's he's such a funny guy. Spaceballs. He's such a great actor. And the fact that I never really got to see him perform because he was doing other things that he needed to do you know, I was sad about that, but he's got to do what he's got to do. And the fact that he's coming back for this f- film, this franchise—the fact he really led this franchise—it wasn't just the first *Honey, I Shrunk the Kids*. He was in both sequels: one that was what that was s- that went to theaters, and one that went to straight to DVD. It was *Honey, I blew up the kid* and *Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves*, which went to home video. So for Rick Moranis, this was really a, his franchise, and I think he knows his franchise. He knows Disney, and he wants to come back for that. Also, to me, this this is a huge, huge sign for the potential for the script because if, if Moranis, if he couldn't come back for a Ghostbusters sequel, or, or if he couldn't come back for even just a cameo, or if he couldn't come back to be a part of Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is more of a sequel to the first two Ghostbusters that came out in the '80s, but he's coming back for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, a sequel, legacy sequel then that means there there must be something really good about this script that tells Mick Moranis that this is the film that I want to come back and make my debut, my, my return in. That he's going to look good in, that maybe he doesn't have to do a lot of press for it, but I'm sure they're going to want him to because he's going to be a big drawing point to the movie. But whether it, whether he does it or not, the fact that he came back for this movie, other than the fact that he that he really is the leader of this franchise— says something. It says something big, I think, about the story, and that they have something interesting brewing up over there, at Disney, with this film. You got Josh Gad, who is incredible, and it seemed like he played a big role in getting Moranis back into the fold. So that for someone like Josh Gad, who is such a talented performer as a singer and as an actor and a comedian, he's just incredible. So I need to get him in here and do something is just, it's incredible. And for Moranis to come back after 20 plus years, I'm so excited to see him in this. And There's no announced release date yet for this movie, but if Rook Moranis is coming back, I will be here for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, or whatever it turns out to be for the name for that film. What do you guys think about Rook Moranis coming back? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section, and leave your thoughts. Now, moving on to one one of the last things that I'm going to be talking about today, and that is going to be the brand new role in the Loki TV series for Gugu Mbatha Raw and she is going to be playing in an undisclosed role in the brand new Marvel Disney Plus show Loki with Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson. It's set to release right now in early 2021, and this is just another incredible role for her to be premiering Loki, another great action to put on the role, so I'm excited to see what she is going to be doing in Loki. Now moving on to the last thing that I want to talk about today, and that is Michael B. Jordan and Margot Robbie joining the new David O. Russell film that is set to premiere in the next few years. It, they'll be joined by Christian Bale, who is a frequent appearancer on David O. Russell films, starting in a few of them. And this is gonna be his first film since Joy, and he'll be working with Regency within the 20th century and Disney franchise. This definitely definitely has a lot of Oscar potential. It's gonna be shooting in April. And again, this is this is incredible work for both Margot Robbie. I mean, she is one of the best actresses working today, and Michael B. Jordan is one of the best actors working today as well. Premiering in the Creed franchise, in Black Panther, and Fruitvale Station, and he's even working on Creed Three right now, while also working with Denzel Washington on a new film called A Journal. For Jordan, he's also he's also going to be working on, and, he, and he's in a film that's releasing this year on called High F- uh, Facility, which is a Tom Clancy movie, and so for Michael B. Jordan, this is just another great role to put him in and to work with David O. Russell, who is really somebody that works with actors really, really, really well, and so I'm excited to see what he's going to be doing in this film, and I'm excited to see what David O. Russell has in store for this movie. What do you guys think about that? Let me know down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Sam Podcast, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to follow me on the Ambiguous Network, and make sure to tune in on the Ambiguous Network. And be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis, Also, make sure to check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. And also check out the brand new show that's on the ambiguous network, The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. You can check them out on the website, ambiguousproduction.com. Also, check them out on Facebook and Twitter, at RealAmbiguous, along with all the other amazing content that is on the Ambiguous Network, on the social media pages. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, make sure to follow me on social media, on Twitter. You can check me out, at Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And on Facebook, at Sam Bissell. Thank you guys again so much. And until next time, keep on screening.